Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. It said to Naomi, let me go to the field and gleam among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleamed in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Amalek. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me gleam and gather among the sheaves after the, the, after the reapers. So she came, and she has worked nonstop from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz, here is the meeting that will change history. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and gleam in our field or leave this one. Keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be in the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men that they have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes since you would take notice of me, a foreigner? But Boaz answered and said, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and your mother, your native land, and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under the wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of them. At dinner time, Boaz said to Ruth, come here and eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and they passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and even had leftovers. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, do not reproach her, and also pull down some bundles for her, leave it for her to glean, do not rebuke her. So she worked nonstop until the evening. She beat out all she had, and she had about an epaph of barley, which is actually about a month's worth of barley that would feed a worker. That is some going. So she went home to her mother-in-law, and she brought what she had, and she gave the food left over after being satisfied. And I love this scene here. Naomi just bombards her with questions. Where did you dream today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man that has taken notice of you. So Ruth getting a word in edgeways, told her mother not all that she had done. And then she mentions that the man's name was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, she, He said to me, Keep a close watch by my young men till they finish the harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, it is good, my daughter, that you go with this young woman, lest in our field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, leaving until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Big doors swing on small hinges. The work of God takes place very often, like a barley wheat growing in the slow, steady paces of life through the seasons. So Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would come today and do that work amongst us, the work of renewal and sanctification, 
the work of making us more like Jesus, the work of drawing those who are ready to receive the Savior to himself. All these things we acknowledge we cannot do by ourselves, but we rely totally on you, O Lord. So come and help me, I ask, and help us to hear what you're saying today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we start Ruth chapter 1, this beautiful book that comes, as I said, like a, a ray of sunshine in a stormy day in the midst of judges and all the chaos of the nation, and then before 1 Samuel and the excitement of David, Eli, and all the different things that come. It's a book that focuses, as I said, not on the big characters of history, not on the prime ministers or the kings or the potentates, but on three widows in a field outside a small village. And yet, that small hinge of those three widows in that field would become a big door for God to swing His miraculous providence on. And last week in chapter 1, we looked at the theme of the kindness of God, the hesed love of God, that committed, faithful love, that loving kindness, that big-heartedness that pursues us. And this week now, as we turn to chapter 2, we're going to look at one of those other themes that comes up in Ruth, and that is the providence of God, the, the working of God in time here and now. I don't know if any of you happened to walk up Steep Hill yesterday in Lincoln or walked around Lincoln, but perhaps you might have been mistaken for thinking you're walking around the set of Goodnight Sweetheart. For it's 1940s weekend in Lincoln this week. Did you know that? Yeah. So if you saw Winston Churchill walking up the street yesterday, you weren't seeing things. There was an impersonator there. But thinking about the 1940s, the word providence to me, it's, it's an unusual one. How many people have heard in everyday life the word providence? Not many, don't worry. And yet, if you went back maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even 75 years ago, it was a word that was used every day. A word that was really, in fact, one of the first times I ever heard about providence was in the 1940s. I wasn't there. Uh, but it was this speech, speech given by a man who actually was a small hinge, a man who struggled with speech. He had a speech impediment. He also had a lisp. But he gave this speech in the 40s, a small speech, in which a big door of providence hinged on. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight in the beaches. We shall fight in the landing grounds, in the fields, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even which, I do not believe for a moment, this island or a large part of it was subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle, and here it is, until, in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and liberation of the old. In 1940, Winston Churchill to the House of Commons in Britain gave a speech that wasn't derided, that wasn't mocked. In fact, it was one of the hinges, even his greatest detractors say, that give hope to the nation in a time of great darkness. And he was mentioning providence in God's good time. And Churchill himself is acknowledged by many as being the right man in the right place at the right time. And we see this all throughout history. Providences, coincidences, blind luck. What's that word? The beautiful word, that film they made a few years back, serendipity. And we hear these terms bandied around, do we not? But what do they actually mean? 
And how does it actually look? Because we, as a people, believe that our God is sovereign. We believe that He has created this whole universe, and we believe that He hasn't just let it go off by itself. You know the way sometimes you see parents when they see the kids go, away you go. God hasn't done that. He's still involved in this world. As we saw last week, He's involved in the grief of widows. Remember that scene where they're all standing crying, there's tears, there's Kleenex, there's snotter, there might even be mascara if they weren't brethren. We don't know. And yet that's in the Word of God because God's interested in details like that. He has His eye on the sparrow, and He has His eye on you and me, and big doors swing and small hinges. So we too take as a fact that our God is actually involved in this world, that He's involved in details, He's involved even in what we think is the minutia of our everyday lives. Was it the old, the old American philosopher, Dolly Parton, nine to five? Even in our nine to five, he is involved. And so we come to this chapter, chapter two here. Chapter, verse one there is kind of, remember those old movies you would get where they would do a voiceover? Where they'd do like a voiceover, they'd be pulling back over a scene and the voice would say, this is the village of um, Saxelby. That kind of happens here. As the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, he, he's throwing us hints as we go along. He knows how the story ends, but Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they have no idea what God's up to in the background in this. So chapter one, or verse one, sorry, is kind of like a voiceover. We're told they've arrived at Bethlehem. The whole village is astir. We talked about how they were looking at Naomi going, oh, she's lost weight. Oh, look at her dress size has gone down. Who, who's that with her? And the village was ablaze with gossip. And as this is happening, the voiceover comes and says, there's hope. There's a redeemer. There's a worthy man from the clan of Amalek whose name is Boaz. And then we go back to Ruth and Naomi, verse 2 here. Verse 2 is amazing because when we think about providence and the workings of God, there's two traps we fall into. One that we sort of treat it like blind luck or blind fate, and we, we, nothing matters. Have you ever heard that famous poem, Invictus? It was, uh, they did the movie about Nelson Mandela in the rugby. I am the captain of my fate, the master of my soul. And so we throw it all to the wind. It doesn't matter about providence. It doesn't matter about God. We'll just try our best. But the other trap we fall into when we think about providence and God working in our lives is to do nothing, is to sit still because God will do it. Well, verse 2 here, Ruth doesn't do that, does she? Ruth here looks at the situation. I mean, let's not forget the dire situation these two were in. There was no social security. There was no pension. There was no safety net. There wasn't even any relatives that they knew of at the time. Ruth and Naomi were it. And Naomi wasn't in the best of state, was she? We saw last week as she arrived, but people said, Naomi, your name means blessed. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She's not exactly going to be Mrs. Cheerful for the day, is she? <laughs> Naomi's downcast. She's an old lady. She can't go out into the fields and gleam. She can't feed them. So Ruth, I think of the courage this took her. Ruth, the, the foreigner. That's how the text describes her. She doesn't speak Hebrew. She doesn't know anyone in Bethlehem. She doesn't know what she's going to do, and yet she has decided that she will feed and look after the family. That is Hesed love. That is committed love and action, is it not? Last week, she made a promise. Wherever you go, you can say it back, it's okay. I will go. Your people will be. Your God. Oh, this is great. Your God will be. And wherever I die, wherever you die. <laughs> There I will die. She followed through. 
She followed through. How many times do we make promises or commitments that we don't follow through with? And I'm talking to myself here. Yet she follows through a beautiful picture of God's committed love to us. She commits to Naomi. And I was thinking about this the other day. This, this is perhaps the problem with our world nowadays, isn't it? We have so many choices. We have so many options that we become paralyzed by choice and we never make a decision. We bump along in life and we try and keep our options open, don't we? We'll not, we'll not move here because that might cut off our options for here. We'll, we'll not take this job because that might you know, hinder our future successes. We'll not commit to this, this person because, well, a, a better person might come along. And keeping our options open all our life, we end up empty and unfulfilled, don't we? Naomi and Ruth committed to each other. And that narrowed her choices down. And yet, even in the narrowing of those choices, love gave her a richer and deeper life, did it not? She committed. Commitment is something that is beautifully shining through the book of Ruth. And commitment, even though it narrows her options, Ruth could have went off back into Moab. She could have got married to anyone. She looks like a resourceful and beautiful lady. She could have the pick of the Moabites. And yet she commits to this old slightly grumpy at this moment, <laughs> widow, and follows her wherever she will go. What a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus Christ as well. This is Jesus' great, 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 few more greats, granny. And what does it say in the New Testament? We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and our strength, and our neighbors. How different would the Christian church be if we, instead of keeping our options open, instead of looking to the next best thing, instead of trying to make sense, we committed here and now to each other and to the work around us and got on with it. I think we would see the deepness and the beauty of the love of God in that. We can never control the circumstances of the world. That's, that's one of the things about providence. We can't control it. But what we can do is obey what the Lord told us to do, love Him and love those who he's placed around us. Ruth is a beautiful picture of that. So she commits to Naomi. She takes the initiative. She's not going to sit back and say, well, you know, if I open my mouth really widely, bits of corn are going to fly into it. No. She goes. And this is one of the mysteries of the providence of God. The providence of God does not stop initiative. Remember that first in Philippians chapter 2? We see this here quite display this mystery. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out, do it, pray it, but it's God who works in you to will and do His good pleasure. Proverbs tells us that the heart of man is full of plans. How many of you have got plans? Have you got lunch plans? I don't actually know what I'm doing for lunch. I'm doing something. Heart of man is full of plans, yet the Lord directs the steps. And here we see, even though Ruth takes the initiative, even though she steps up, she happens. Now, if you're offended by this, take it up with the author of Ruth, not me. It actually says in this, as chance would have it, or as luck would have it, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the author of Ruth is not believing in luck. No, he believes in providence. But he's building up the suspense here, isn't it great? She's looking for something, and she goes to the field, and she happens to end up in the field where Boaz men are working. Is that great? That's amazing. God's good. This is providence here, and this is, providence isn't blind luck. It isn't fate, whatever the God, what's the Abba song? What's that song? The winner takes it all, the gods may throw their dice, cold as ice. Load of rubbish. Good song, but a load of rubbish. 
behind providence and the working of God is a kind heart. Ruth takes the initiative. She turns up at the field here. And she works from nine to five. She gets stuck in. She barely takes a break. And here, even in that wee section, it shows me how many of us have spent our day sometimes in work or doing something wondering, why am I doing this? What's it all about? Do you think Ruth might have felt that as she was plucking grains of corn? This isn't like plucking daisies, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. <laughs> plucking corn's not fun. You get scalps, you get paper. Do you know the... Do you anything to me, but never give me a paper cut. I cut myself in the knife the other day. And I've been like a big baby ever since. Plucking corn. Routine. Doing it. Doing it. Doing it. And yet by the plucking of that corn and by doing the work, God had a purpose for that. That later on when Boaz comes, they go, well, hey, look at the amount of corn you plucked. Everything God calls you to do has purpose. And one of the people always said to me, you could be the greatest preacher in the world or you could be the greatest bin collector in the world, but if God has called you to do that, do it to the glory of God where he has called you. Where God has put you is a purpose for your life. It's not about what you do, it's the heart you do it with and the glory you show of God. So friend, if you're sitting in your job, wondering, what if you're like Dolly Parton, you know, the boss man just won't give you any credit and you're, you, you want to rise? Sing that to yourself then, sing it to the glory of God. But God has you everywhere in his providence for a purpose. None of our lives are a mistake. None of our lives are blind chance. They're orchestrated by the God who makes this universe. And even though we see this universe damaged by the fall, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, you know what I'm going to say. England's nice. It's not as nice as Ireland, but it's, it's you know. Scotland, Scotland yes. Well, I, just, I need to stop doing that. Every time I mention a country, somebody gets upset because I forget somewhere. But the God who shapes the beauties of this creation... Who was it? What was the poet? Was it William Blake? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest off the night. Oh, Jacob, that's come back from somewhere. The God who makes the beauties and intricacies of creation is the same God who orchestrates all things together for good for his people, driven not by a cold heart, but by a kind and loving heart. We're here for a purpose, brothers and sisters. We're here for each other. And we're here to serve and love the Lord. So she happens to come across this field. We know her feet are directed by the Lord. We don't believe in, in luck. The text puts it like that, but we know who's driving her. She ends up in the field with Boaz's guys working. And then it says, and look, Boaz has come as well. I mean, Hollywood would kill for this stuff, wouldn't it? She arrives in the field. Boaz arrives from Bethlehem, and he seems a great guy. When he says to the workers, the Lord be with you, they answer, the Lord bless you. This isn't a routine thing. This is a guy who loves the Lord. It says in verse 1 there, a worthy man, a man of honor and esteem. Boaz is the guy. Ruth doesn't know it yet. Boaz doesn't know it yet. But the Lord knows that both of their lives are about to be changed forever. Oh, friends, your today doesn't have to be tomorrow. You may be here today feeling frustrated and tired and wondering what God is up to in your life. And yet tomorrow he could work a providence that changes everything. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting him, for he is good and he is kind. And if you're in Jesus Christ and trusting in him as your Savior and Lord, he has done the greatest thing to you already by giving you that new birth and that life in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I never tire of saying that. So Ruth, Boaz comes into the field. Now, Boaz must have had an eye on him, for he looks and he sees this lady and he says, Who is this young woman? And actually, by doing this, Boaz highlights the danger that Ruth's in. Ruth is a foreigner. 
in a foreign land. She can't speak the language. She has no husband. She has no brother. She is... I was reading one of the commentaries last night, and there was a list of 15 people in Israeli life. There was the king at the top, and you go all the way down, and number 15 is the foreigner. She is nothing. She is in every danger of being insulted and exploited. We see that. Ruth is a beautiful book, but it's not unaware of the realities of the world. She is in danger of exploitation. We see this in our own country with the horrors of the slave trade. Ruth's in danger. How will Boaz respond to her? If he took her off, did whatever, nobody would blink an eye. He's a powerful man. But that's not as hard. The servant said she's been working nine to five. She'd been working hard. She didn't even take a break. At verse, verse seven there, basically, it actually says she came into the house for two minutes, had a breath, and went back out again. So Boaz goes over and talks to her. Verse eight. Now, as far as chat-up lines go, I wouldn't recommend this one. It's not exactly Humphrey Bogart going of all the bars in all the world you'd walk into. Now, listen, my daughter. Guys, don't say that to somebody you're trying to. But he goes over to her with kindness. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go and gleam in our feelings. He does this. He metaphorically puts an arm of protection around her. Or leave this one. Keep close to my young woman. He throws the cloak of protection over her. He throws, metaphorically, his wings over her. That sounds very familiar to a God that we know, does it not? Psalm 91, he who abides in the shelter of the Most High and dwells under the shadow of him will be protected by his wings. We used to have chickens in the farm. Now, you may think that chickens are sweet-natured things, but see if you get them riled. They, they cluck and they fuss and they fly and they come at you. You upset a chicken, you're in for trouble, especially when she's got chicks. And I remember hearing a true story of a fire that swept through a farm and it destroyed everything. It was a hen farm, so everything was destroyed. And as the guys were going around assessing the farm, they heard some movement. And they went across to what was a charred chicken. And underneath its wings were her young chicks still alive. He who abides in the shadow of the Most High shall be secure. Boaz here shows the kindness of the Lord by protecting Ruth. Ruth, I'm taking responsibility for you. Ruth, I'm going to look out for you. Ruth, I'm a powerful man. Let me use my power not to dominate or corrupt or exploit, but in humility to look after you. Go and go through the fields. Take whatever you need. If you're thirsty in here, we may think if you're thirsty, giving somebody a drink isn't a big deal. Actually, in Scripture it is. When you give somebody a drink that's been drawn by hands of the Israelis, you're saying you're part of the community. Ruth, you've got my protection. I'm going to look after you. You're part of us. Did she not make a promise about Naomi's people being her people? Naomi's God being her God, and here God, through the kindness of Boaz, does that for her. Friends, how do we welcome others? Do we believe the church exists for us? Remember that we thing you used to do as kids? What was it? Here's the, was it, here's the steeple, here from the doors, and there's all the people. If you didn't do that, don't worry, you didn't miss out. <laughs> that was Northern Irish Sunday school. But, yeah. We are the one body on earth that exists to show the love of God and the glory of God and to welcome all those out there to come in and know Him, to receive Him, to be transformed by Him, to the foreigner, the widow, the outcast, the lonely, the marginalized. We come, we want them to be transformed by the grace of God and the gospel of God, amen and yes. yes. But we need to welcome. And it's simple things. If somebody walks through the door, don't grunt at them, say, hello, good morning. 
We have a welcome team here, and they're great, and thank you for the guys who serve in the welcome team, but I want the welcome team to be the forerunners. And you guys are good at this. I'm not criticizing, but let's do it more. Let's be a church that really welcomes folk. Don't scare them. Like if somebody new walks through the door, don't pile on them with 20 people, you know, and sort of, but open our hearts. Will we get hurt? Yes. Will we get taken advantage of? I'm absolutely sure we will. Will we get trampled on? Yeah. But we serve the Savior who's a man of sorrows. And we show the love of Christ to all. We welcome all who come in. We throw and we say, look, guys, until you trust the Lord, let us model the Lord's likeness to you. And one of the ways we do that is kindness and humility. Boaz had nothing to gain from this relationship. He, he kind of knew who Ruth was, but he didn't have to do this. But he did. And I love there, if you drop down to verse 11, he's heard about her. Ruth prostrates herself on the ground before him and saying, why have you noticed me? Boaz says, I've heard about you, all that you've done for Naomi. Friends, wouldn't it be great I, if the church was known for all that we do for the Lord in acts of kindness and love? I've heard about you. I've heard what you've done because you've trusted the Lord. I've heard you're looking after Naomi. It's spoken to me. The Lord, verse 12, repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The word for repay there in verse 12 actually comes from shalom. The Lord fill you up again. And isn't it interesting, in chapter 1, it's an empty chapter, isn't it? They lose husbands, they lose parents, there's grief, they're empty. There's an emptiness with grief, is there not? When, you, when you're grieving, you feel empty, don't you? One of the beautiful things about the book of Ruth is, is chapter 1 develops and they go empty. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, they start getting filled up again. And this is why we see so much of this. I mean, Ruth was some worker, like Jiggers. Oh, she, uh, she basically reaped half the field. I don't know how she carried it home. Like, she must have been a weightlifter or something. I mean, we're talking serious weight here of grain and corn. She takes it all home in a big bag. Like, she must have been waddling up the high street. <laughs> she didn't have to climb up a steep hill to get home. Boaz's kindness overflows to her. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and my cup shall overflow. Ruth's getting filled up again by the kindness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord. Boaz has thrown his protection on her. He shows the kindness of God. Kindness is a word which is undervalued nowadays, is it not? What is kindness? Is it being nice to somebody? Is it not taking the last biscuit? I'll be kind and give you the last Jaffa cake. Is kindness weakness? No. Kindness is a value that flows all the way through Scripture, does it not? The Lord's loving kindness. And I think somewhere in Galatians, did the Apostle Paul not write about the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, and kindness? I looked up the Theosaurus last night. One of the words I found for kindness was this big-heartedness. I need to be careful I'm saying because there's Scots people in the court. No. <laughs> big-heartedness overflowing generosity. God blesses us. God has saved us so that we may be a blessing to others, so that His grace may flow, His channel, His love may flow through us and go out. And in His providence, I love the… I was at the NTM graduation on Thursday, which was great. And sitting there watching, I love seeing these sort of things because there was a whole mix of people there from all over the world. How they all came to one place at one time surely could only be the providence of God. I think the guys would agree with that. There were some interesting, I mean, there was Barnabas there. There were some interesting characters there. Yet they were brought together to be sent out, filled up, sent out. That's what God does. He brings us, He draws us together. I'm excited for this fellowship. 
All of us are brought here together to serve the Lord in this area. Have a good look at each other there. It'll wake you up. Where would you get a room full of people like us? Probably Crime Watch, but... And yet we're all brought here to serve the Lord and to show His loving kindness, especially through Jesus Christ to those around us. God's providence is not blind fate or blind chance. It is the operation of God. It is continuing work of creation as He remakes, renews, redraws, makes connections, does all these things to glorify His name and to bring people to Jesus Christ to know Him. And it is a gentle, kind heart that drives the providence of God. Verse 17, she gleamed until evening, she beat it out, she went home to her mother-in-law. Now again, I love these scenes in Ruth. Ruth's one of those books because God is in our individual lives. He glorifies our work with His presence through us, and He also glorifies Himself through our homes as well. J.I. Packer was a famous theologian. He died a few years ago, and he said one of the greatest things he ever learned was that God was most glorified, God was most felt and delighted through dinners, through families, and through our local life through the nine to five. When you go home today and have dinner, what will you talk about? Don't talk about the football. Don't. Thank you, John. Go home and talk about the Lord. Pray together. Bring His glory into your home. And if you're folk amongst you in your family who do not know the Lord, which we all do, perhaps the loving kindness of the Lord and His providence through what we say and what we do and showing of Him will be a seed planted in their hearts. God is immensely concerned in everyday life. I'm sure we can all identify with verse 19 as we walk through the door and we get bombarded with questions. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe it was your mother-in-law. Maybe it was, Where did you go today? Where did you get that food? What did you do? Naomi's this explosion of noise, isn't she? I, I think Jewish mothers and Irish mothers are the same, the same folk. If I ever went home to my mother, no matter, see if I went to the shop for half an hour, just half an hour, I would walk in the door. Who did you meet? Who did you come across? Where did you go to? Is it, is, it, is it something about Irish mums, Grace? Oh, okay. Does she do that? You, Richard? No, no. <laughs> oh, Richard, you're supposed to know. Don't you? <laughs> you see this everyday life. Naomi, and this is the thing I love about this. Naomi came, and I'm actually not going to be harsh to Naomi because she was grieving. Some of the commentators say, oh, Naomi's a grotch of the old soul. No, she's not. She's a tender root that has been bruised. But say the providence of God starts filling things up again. Naomi was empty. She said she had nothing. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning feeling that way. Look at what this ray of hope does to Naomi. She was in a field. She got food. This is great. And by the way, the guys, I think Ruth, Ruth was cheeky. Ruth knew this. Ruth leaves the best news to last. And she goes, oh, by the way, the guy's name is Boaz. And see the loving kindness of God even at work in that. The shaft of life that enters Naomi's tired, cold weary heart. Boaz? Boaz? Blessed be the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Amen, Naomi. This is better talk than last week. This man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. Big doors swing on small hinges. The providence of God is active in this world. God is doing a thousand and one things in our lives right now that we aren't even aware of. And today doesn't have to be what tomorrow is when we trust in the Lord. He directs our steps. He leads us to places we would not even think of. When I was sitting in Carrickfergus 20 years ago, I'd never even heard of Lincoln. I'd never even heard of Pitt and Weem. I'd heard of England and Scotland. Geography wasn't that bad. 
And I'm sure some of you have stories to tell that providence of God. As his loving kindness is at work. His loving kindness expressly displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the peak of it. All the things here, we see the shadow of the cross where God's loving kindness was fully displayed that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friend, this morning, perhaps you're sitting here feeling, you can never know this God. You can never come to this God. He wouldn't want you. He wouldn't be interested in you. Let that ray of life hit your soul. There is a Redeemer. And He lives and He stands upon the earth and He calls men and women everywhere to come and believe in Him. For He has conquered death, the grave, sin, and hell. And nobody need be lost. Nobody needs to sit empty for their whole life. They can come to Him and have life in abundance. We looked at the Good Shepherd a few weeks back, didn't we? There is a Redeemer, and His loving kindness is for all who will repent and trust in Him. See the beauty of God in this. See the glory of God in this. Do you want to find out what happens next? Come next week. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that, as always, what was from me and was not helpful would fall to the wayside. But as we look at your word here, Lord, we thank you that you're a God of providence. That word that means that you're at work in creation. You're at work in our lives. And when we think of that, perhaps that can be a scary thought, O oh Lord, when we think of it, but then we must remember your loving kindness. Your loving kindness displayed by Beowulf as he throws his protection around those who have nothing to give and who are vulnerable like us. And we thank you and we cry out, Lord, save us. Your hand reaches down and you lift us. So even though we do not understand the things you do in our life at times, Lord, we do trust in the cross, in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and that verse is that tells us you are working all things together for good. So I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I know in this congregation there will be a mix of feelings, a mix of emotions, a mix of circumstances. We may feel like Naomi this morning. And I pray if that is the case, that the light that there is a Redeemer who will never leave us nor forsake us will shine into their souls. We may feel like Ruth on a new venture, standing in a foreign land with foreign people, and yet there's a thrill of excitement. Help us too to trust that you will guide our steps and walk with us. Perhaps we feel like Boaz, doing our nine-to-five job, trying to be faithful to the Lord, not really seeing much excitement. Lord, may we know that you're at work even in that, that big doors swing on small hinges. And again, Lord, if, no, if someone is here who does not know you, the idea of a God who is so big and so powerful can seem quite intense. And indeed, you are intense in your beautiful holiness and sovereignty. But you've revealed that through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is greater than Boaz, who is more loving even than Ruth, who is more hopeful than Naomi, who is the light and savior of the world. Holy Spirit, let them trust in you today, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.